Well, Denise and Brooklyn and I certainly had an eventful morning today, and we're delighted and very thankful indeed to be able to be here, to certainly as a part of the worship service here today. In the abundance of the rain that came our way the last few days, uh, at least over the course of the last evening, uh, a tree came across the roadway prohibiting us from leaving as promptly as we would have liked this morning, but rather able to quickly, reasonably so, take care of that, and certainly thankful to be able to be here the worship service is always such a delightful blessing. Indeed, we look forward to them so much. I hope all is well with you, and I hope that you're prepared to look with me at a lesson today entitled, His Own Voluntary Will. Brother Wayne read just a moment ago from the opening chapter of the book of Leviticus, and at the proper time in the lesson, we'll be reflecting a bit on verse 3 of that chapter. But at least to bring us to that point, a few thoughts that will not only prepare the way for it, but also challenge us with the major matters that will be a part of this consideration this morning. It would be fair to say, and we all know it so well, that God's ways are so far higher and so far removed by way of character from our own. Isaiah directly declared that truth as God spoke through him in Isaiah 55. My thoughts are not your thoughts, God said. My ways are not yours. In fact, as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, that is as far above your thoughts that in fact are mine. With that thought in mind, could I at least ask a question? How do we then understand or try to do so relative to especially some of the deeper things of God? If His ways are so much higher than ours and His thoughts are far higher than ours, how do we know what He wants? How do we then bring about in our lives those things that would be pleasing to Him? Just ask that differently. What does God want from the human family? What does He want of your life and mine? And for the next few moments today, let's at least consider that basic question and strive to let the Word of God provide us with a very interesting answer. I've already tried to say near the bottom of that slide this interesting point. We might be quick to say, well, He wants me to obey Him. I'm going to offer that's not the complete answer. Oh, it's part of it, but there's more to be learned. And we, at the right time today, will not only appreciate that, but make direct applications to our life and to our heart. This next slide will present a few considerations. I've called them facts, but we all know it so well. And I'm going to use this as a springboard to again revisit that question, how do we know what God wants? Isn't it true that we well know among the human family that we enjoy so many good things from God. And that's true not only of His faithful children. Even atheists, they enjoy some good things from God. Even those who would have a mentality to directly rebel against the things of God, they too enjoy His blessings. Doesn't the Bible remind us He sends His rain on both the just and the unjust? Even those who openly curse God, He still lets it rain on their land. He still sends His sunshine on them just like He does on His faithful children. Isn't it interesting? You see, Jesus said that in Matthew 5.45. But in the very next breath, wouldn't it be fair to say, it's also true that all of us know very well about the unpleasantries that sometimes come with living. We might call them bad things. Things that we wish were different. Do faithful children of God get sick? We know that all too well, don't we? 
Do faithful children of God have termites infest their house? It can happen. Do faithful children of God also know so well the characteristics that sometimes can often trouble us at work where things just don't go in a Christianly fashion? Well, obviously it does. We know it so very well. On the other hand, do those that are wicked, do they have bad things happen to them too? Well, yeah, bad people can get sick. Bad people can suffer from a tornado. Bad people can have water problems at their house. We know it all well. Isn't it true in light of the opening statements of this slide? No great revelation here. Good things and bad things happen to both the good and the wicked. So at this point, if that's all we're going to operate on, how do you know what God wants? If atheists enjoy some of the same kind of things that faithful people do, and if atheists also suffer some of the same kind of things that faithful people do, then what difference does it make? How do we know what God wants? I've listed you a few more thoughts at the bottom of that slide, and I've asked you along the way to look at some of these verses. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble, Job 14.1. Do we not read in Acts 14.17 about the blessings of rainfall and pleasantness that comes with even those that we appreciate as being blessed of God? To add to all of that is this truth. The unpleasantries that sometimes go with life are certainly abundant. Have you ever had a chigger? Have you ever had termites? Have you ever suffered from ticks? I have. And I know many of you have more extensively than have I. But the point is, we wonder, why didn't God protect me from this? Why is it that He did not orchestrate matters in such a way that at least He shows a little favor to those who try to serve Him? Am I really sure I know what He wants? At the bottom of that slide, I've asked you to consider this list could be extended rather noticeably. Such mundane matters as erosion, it happens to the land of the faithful just like it does to the land of the unfaithful. The pipes in the house of the unfaithful may burst, but they may burst in the house of the faithful person too. Maybe we've said enough. We know that these kinds of matters seemingly are common to our existence upon this planet. This next slide will invite you to at least make an observation with me. And that observation points us in this direction. Does it not appear that the features of this planet, planet Earth, have been orchestrated in such a way that these things were not accidental? They were not mere happenstance. They were orchestrated this way for some kind of a purpose a purpose, no doubt, well known to the mind of God, but one that I'm sure we can at least appreciate some truth to today as well. And so I've tried to summarize a few things at the, at the very bottom of that slide. This whole environment that we call earth, isn't it true? It does make provision for our needs. Food supplies, water supplies, other things like that are well supplied to us. And aren't we thankful? But not only does earth make that provision, as you think about those unpleasantries, look at what's next. There's also well-understood challenges to doing what's right. That's just the way it is. 
the system we call earth has been orchestrated in such a way, not only does it make ample provision of our needs, it also offers the opportunities to challenge to the doing of what is right. And therefore, we have decisions to make. And often, these unpleasantries have to be faced, and our attitude is going to be critical. Perhaps finally, could I invite you to note this? There is a system of checks and balances in this earth system. And in this system of checks and balances, there's an ongoing set of challenges to doing what's right, but there's a set of understandings that go with what all that means. Now let's develop it all like this. On this next slide, I ask you as we started the lesson, what does God want from me? And what does He want from you? On this slide, let's see if we can not only detail it, but note the powerful beauty of it as well. First of all, isn't it fair to say, of course God wants people to obey Him, because that's in their best interest. God always does what's right, Genesis 18.25, and He always puts in course the thing that's in the best interest because He loves us. He's never going to command anything of us that's damaging, that's hurtful, that in some way will call into question the integrity of our soul. He will always command what's noble, what's good, and what's right. And therefore, it will always be in our best interest. With regard to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 4 verse 40, did He not directly tell them, Thou shalt keep My commandments, My statutes, and My laws, that it may be well with thee? Did you note the statement? Sure, you keep these things, but don't you know? Don't you realize this will ultimately work in your favor? It shall be well with you. In many ways, that sentiment was echoed in Deuteronomy 8, verse 1. One more time, keep my laws and my commandments and my statutes, that it may be well with thee, that thou may go into the land, and that thou mayest prolong thy stay on that land. You'll notice that their provision in Canaan, and Canaan was such a wonderful land for them, but you'll notice they were told, not only do you obey my commandments, but in so doing, you shall maintain your stay there. Now with all that in mind, look at the next point I've asked you to consider on the slide. We would all readily agree God is all-powerful. He can do whatever is consistent with His will. Did Jesus say in Matthew 19, 26, all things are possible with God? Do we not also recall that famous statement of Jeremiah 32, 17, God's right arm is sufficiently powerful to accomplish whatever is consistent with His will. So let's put those two thoughts together. If God wants people to obey Him, and He can do anything He wants, why didn't He just make us robots? to where we have no choice but to do whatever He says. Why didn't He fill us with a disposition so that we can't do anything other than that which He commands? Isn't that an interesting question? Again, if He's all-powerful and if He wants us to obey Him, why didn't He just make us to where we had no choice? We would always do nothing but that which pleases Him. Now, we all know He didn't do that. Well, that now brings us to the answer. So what is it God wants? 
What is it that perhaps is the simplest explanation of it? On the middle of that slide, I've asked you to notice, it would seem from the Word of God, this is the answer. God wants people to choose to obey Him. May I say it again? He wants people to make the determined choice to obey Him. He could have made a bunch of robots. They would have had no choice in that regard. They would have had to. What thrills the heart of God, what thrills the character of not only the nature of who He is, but what He desires the most is for mankind, His prized creation, to choose to obey Him. In light of perhaps even difficulties, and in light of challenges, and in light of other matters that can come our way in life, He loves it when people choose to obey Him. That's what He wants. To help you see that with me, let's now look at a host of passages that will not only emphasize the obedience to His will, but the attitude that goes with it, the choice that was involved in it. And so, why don't we start with this appreciation in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. In light of the ancient people of God, the children of Israel, you may recall that Moses was reaching the end of his walk upon earth. He wasn't far from death. Likely less than a few weeks at most. And some of his last words to the people of Israel were, I call heaven and earth before you this day. Choose the good. Moses told them, you've got a choice. I set before you life and death. I set before you blessing and cursing. Choose life. Choose blessing. Choose that which is consistent with the will of God. The Hebrews had a choice. Not only did they have the choice at that point, but consider a little bit further along the stream of time. The closing days of Joshua's life in Joshua 24, 15. Maybe this passage is so well familiar to us, but may we not allow its sentence to pass by us. Joshua, again, virtually on his deathbed said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. Now, may I pause a moment? Again, Joshua was old. He was advanced in years, and he had led God's people for a long time. He said, choose this day who you will serve. If you want to serve the gods of the ancient peoples on the other side, God will let you do that. But don't claim to serve the God of heaven and try to serve them at the same time. But he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now Joshua said, I don't know about you, but as far as myself and my house, we are going to make the choice to serve the Lord. And he urged the people of Israel to do the same. May I suggest on that next point of statement on the slide, we have several passages that remind us sometimes people make poor choices. In Proverbs 1 verse 29, there are those who, the inspired writer said, they didn't choose to fear God. Did you notice? They made the choice, though. They weren't forced not to fear Him, but they were allowed the choice, and they chose not to fear the God of heaven. It's at this point the next couple of verses are all drawn from the closing chapters of the book of Isaiah. If you'd like to turn there with me, those are so strong that I feel like we perhaps ought to read them exactly as God revealed them. 
First of all, would you note with me the wording of Isaiah 65, verse 12? Isaiah 65, verse 12, the God of heaven speaking said, Therefore will I number you to the sword, and ye shall all bow down to the slaughter. Now, if we pause, we're not finished with the verse, but notice God in speaking to the people said to them, I'm going to turn you over to the sword. I'm going to turn you over to the slaughter. But God, that sounds so mean. It sounds so much a strong judgment. Let's finish the verse. Because when I called, ye did not answer. When I spake, ye did not hear. But did evil before mine eyes, and did choose that wherein I delighted not. God said, you made a choice. When I called, you didn't answer. When I set before you the things of truth, you had no interest in it. And he closes the verse by saying, You purposefully chose to do the things in which I have no delight. God's people, the people of Israel, still had a choice, didn't they? Look at another passage in the book of Isaiah. This time in Isaiah 56. So a few chapters back. But verse number 4 reads, For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs, that keep my Sabbath. So let's again pause in the midst of the verse. Here were some individuals. They were eunuchs. And you'll notice that they had a mentality to keep the Sabbaths which God had commanded. That is to say, despite other kinds of challenges that would come their way, we will recall from the days in the early part of the Old Testament, certain things a eunuch would not be allowed entrance to when it came to the tabernacle or the temple. But we notice in verse 4, that with regard to these eunuchs, it says, "...and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant." These eunuchs thus were rather highly commended, weren't they? Because they chose to do that which pleased God. Even though the circumstances were challenging and difficult, and no doubt many things encumbered their way. It is having said all of that. Why don't we revisit that text that Brother Wayne read in Leviticus chapter 1. So this was early in the Old Testament. As far as a little preparation for this text, you and I know that much of the early chapters in Leviticus seemingly describe the various offerings that God's people were to bring. Chapter 1 is the burnt offering, and chapter 2 is the meal offering, and chapter 3, the sin offering. And we notice that chapter 4, the trespass offering. But as those offerings were described, and as the details of them were given, it is rather easy, it would seem to me, to overlook one of the statements in verse 3 of chapter 1. Let me read to you one more time about the burnt offering. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd. So notice, here he did give them the opportunity to offer a number of kinds of animals, if it happened to be of the herd. He said, let him offer a male without blemish. And we understand down the stream of time the significance that would go with the concept of male and without blemish. But that's not our focus. Let's read on. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will. You've got to want to offer it. Don't just come and offer it because I told you to. It's got to be your choice. You've got to want to do this. 
you should bring your appreciation and your attitude and your understanding to the point where this is what you want to do. You bring it voluntarily. And the verse ends by saying, He shall offer it of His own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. May we underline or at least give thought to that word voluntary. God didn't want them to feel as if they had to bring the sacrifice, though He commanded it, though it was again that which was to work for their blessing and benefit. But their will was to be conscripted to the point where it was a voluntary choice. And understanding because they, in response to God's favor to them, wanted to do this. That's not the only time in the book of Leviticus which that phraseology occurs. I would offer you, though, at the bottom of this slide, that in Ezekiel 46, you have a prophet far later who again referred to the voluntary offering of the features of what God wanted them to to offer Him. Let's leap into the New Testament briefly before we close that slide. Remember, our our thought, our point that we noted earlier is God has orchestrated matters to where what He wants is people to choose to obey Him, to choose to do His will. Doesn't that sound a great deal like the letter to the Romans? In verse 17 of chapter 6, as Paul addressed the congregation at Rome, he said, "...but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin." Now, may I again pause in the midst of that verse. He isn't thankful that they're sinners. That's not the point he's making because he quickly develops this idea. But God be thanked, you were the servants, that you were the servants of sin. But you have now obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, and being made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. There's a prepositional phrase occurring in that that again reads like this. You obeyed from the heart. That's the New Testament way of describing the voluntary consideration. You obeyed because you wanted to do it. Today, you and I know we can't make anybody obey the gospel. As much as we want, as much as we pray for it, as much as we may even try to have conversations relative to that end, we cannot make anybody obey the Lord. Even He won't do that. As powerful as the God of heaven is, He won't make anybody serve Him. He invites and encourages and He insists, but He won't make anybody. Because you and I know every member of the Lord's army is on a volunteer basis. Every single member. Jesus said, Come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden. He invites, and He wants us to move our will in the direction of wanting and desiring to serve Him. That voluntary thrust that has been noted so far is perhaps extended with some of these additional observations. Could I invite you to note the first one? As we said earlier, God could have made people like robots, but obviously He didn't. He wants us to choose to love Him, to choose to obey Him, to choose to please Him. That's why He complimented those eunuchs in Isaiah 56 so. That's why He complimented those others that we find in the Old Testament sometimes in very similar fashions. 
But isn't it fair to say that you also encounter verses like these? You and I know very well there were a number of times in the Old Testament, especially wherein individuals came to the places in an effort to serve God. And God was quite displeased with them. Now we could ask why. They were offering sacrifices. They were offering incense. They were observing Sabbath. They were observing the new moons. They were observing some of the other features. And yet God says, I hate what you're doing. Why? I'm doing what you told me. You're not doing it from the heart. You trample my courts. You're, you're present. You come. But your heart's not in it. You're not serving me voluntarily. Maybe you appreciate some benefit in it. God today wants us to choose to serve Him. And we all know our world is not going to make this easy. We know quite often that Satan has sufficient influence to where there are those about us who shall make the Christian walk a challenge. And yet our willful choice to serve Him is going to be a blessing in the eyes of God, though it will be challenging, no doubt, quite often for us. Isn't it rather interesting that you read verses such as these? I've specifically invited you to consider 1 John 4, 19. We love Him because He first loved us. Every time we reflect upon the cross and we reflect upon that which the Savior endured, the excruciating character of His deliberate choice to go to the cross for us, and may we never think that it was forced upon Him, in John chapter 10, he said, I lay down my life for the sheep. No man taketh it from me. I lay it down to myself. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I'm going to voluntarily lay down my life for the sheep. He went to the cross knowing exactly what was going to be involved. He went to the cross knowing exactly the degree of pain that would be involved in it. And yet, he still could say, it is finished in John 19.30. He had done the will of God. He had chosen to act in a way consistent with what the demand of heaven was. And yet, as you and I seek to love Him because He first loved us, didn't it immediately race in our heart to Ephesians 6, verse 6? In our Wednesday evening study of the book of Ephesians, we haven't quite made it to the sixth chapter yet. But when we do, obviously this particular phrase is going to have a heightened significance in light of the church at Ephesus, and certainly by inspiration to us as well. Could I invite you to notice the wording? It speaks a great deal about you and me. Ephesians 6, verse 6, closing chapter of that book, it says, "...not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart." Now, Paul had just described a number of ongoing features about life in Christ. Features related to the church, features related to the family, features related to even employer-employee relationships. But yet, as he concluded it, he said, In your behavior, don't conduct yourself with mere eye service. Don't just do things just because somebody's watching. Now, we want to set good examples, obviously. But our motivations got to run deeper than that. He said, not with eye service as men-pleasers, 
but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Do I want to serve God? That's what pleases God for me to choose to serve Him. You'll notice the next passage. The one that also follows along this similar line in 2 Timothy 2.22 speaks about the words that Paul directed to that young preacher, Timothy. It has to do with choices, and it reads as follows. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. At this point, I think we each then would be in a perfect position to ask, what about me and what about you? Am I choosing in all the considerations of my walks of life to do that which pleases God? That's what He wants for me to make that set of choices. You'll notice one last thing perhaps would be drawn from a prophecy found in the Old Testament. The prophet Zephaniah. That little three-chapter book had much to say about the ongoing practicalities of what God's people were suffering due to their poor choices. But the book does close with a bright spot, a lingering remnant of hope that God had for those that would choose to serve Him. And in Zephaniah 3 verse 9, he spoke about those that were described as having a pure language Now, perhaps consider with me this. We know that God's people, as they were taken captivity at the time, they often found themselves surrounded by those who didn't speak their language. And often, they found themselves difficulty in terms of communication. But yet, the prophecy was made that God said, I am going to settle a pure language, a people of pure language, a people who are dedicated to that which out of a pure heart and out of a choice and service, will be a blessing. I'd suggest to you that the church of today, today, is the fulfillment of that prophecy in Zephaniah. We are the people of a pure language. We are the people who make a willful and deliberate choice to serve the God of heaven. As we close this lesson today, the entire thesis has then been this. What does God want? We've looked at a host of passages, and all have taken us to this point in conclusion. God wants each one, each person, to choose to serve Him out of His or her own voluntary will. And so it brings a moment of decision for me and for you today. Is that characteristic of me? Does that describe me? Do I give the impression on maybe Sundays that that's the case, but one would be challenge to ever know it on Monday or Tuesday or perhaps another day of the week. God looks with great delight upon those that choose to serve Him. And as we've said many times in the lesson today, rest assured the environment of earth is going to present its challenges. When I meet those challenges especially, am I going to choose to serve God? Will I watch my tongue? Will I watch the kind of thoughts that cross my mind? Will I make a deliberate choice to bring every thought into captivity to Christ? 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. Those are great questions. At the moment, I suppose the grand question would be, am I a faithful New Testament Christian? 
It's true, we're going to stumble. John wrote to those of his day and said, to the one who says he has no sin, he is a liar and the truth is not in him. You and I are going to stumble. We're going to make our, our foolish choices. But if we are those that are Christians, we have the blessedness of the blood of Christ continually cleansing our sins, 1 John 1 verse 7. And we're promised in Romans 8 1, there's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. So if you and I are in Christ, we may well appreciate those challenges and sometimes not always making the best choices, but we rest assured that we enjoy the continual forgiveness of the Master. But the far worse circumstance is this. I willfully don't choose to follow Him. And I give the pretense that I do. That makes me a hypocrite. And not only does the Master not look kindly upon that, but we know God doesn't either. Today, do, is it true that you and I are choosing to serve the Lord? It may be that there's one or more in this assembly today that maybe has never become a Christian. Oh, you know that the Lord died for you, and you know there was a place called Calvary, and you know that the Son of God gave all of Himself to make salvation possible. But to this point, you haven't done anything about it. You perhaps have heard lessons, and you've read the Bible, and you've listened to others speak about it, but you've never made the truth of it your own. Don't let another day pass. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Proverbs 27, 1. We can, in fact, assist you in just a matter of minutes so that you could leave this building today a New Testament Christian. Oh, it's not we who can add you to the church. Only the Lord can do that. But He's promised to do it under the banner of Acts 2, 47. And He adds to the church those that are saved. If you will believe Jesus as the Son of God, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized... We'd be delighted to celebrate with you today as you would leave this place a saved person. But if you have known the blessedness of that estate, but as of this day you're not faithful, you've begun to have thoughts and misgivings and perhaps live a life that is not faithful to the Lord. You know you're not choosing to follow Him. You know it. The Lord knows it. God knows it. You realize you can't hide anything from Him. His eyes are in every place, beholding the evil and the good, Proverbs 15, 3. Today, if you'll come back to your first love with open arms, He will gladly receive you, just like the father of the prodigal did in Luke 15. He will forgive those sins, wipe them clean. You will owe nothing with regard to their guilt. You may have to face their consequences, but the guilt will be no more. Today, if we could be of some assistance in that, in that regard... Don't you want to choose to follow Him? Because that's what He delights in. That's what He wants. He made you and I to where the whole environment of this earth prompts us in that regard. If we could help you today to answer that call, we'd love to do it while together we stand and while we sing.